Welcome to the Canadian Real Estate Investor, where hosts Daniel Foch and Nick Hill navigate the market and provide the tools and insights to build your real estate portfolio. Okay, welcome back to the Canadian Real Estate Investor Podcast, which is a show in which we have this super special challenge that is coming out. We're launching a five-day challenge to help you take the next steps to become a real estate investor. It is free, by the way. It's free. What? I know we have the course. Yeah, we have the course. And we're actually going to, I think subsequently, this will be sort of like the stepping stone to the course. So you do this and then you can get into the course. This is, it takes five days. It's going to be starting in March. It's an online community of investors, much like our course, but this one is completely free. So if you want to meet other listeners, if you want to learn how to analyze deals exceptionally quickly, if you want to beta test a brand new proprietary exclusive piece of technology, a bunch of other buzz, buzzwords. <laughs> um, that's the pitch. Join it. It'll be the first link at the top of the show notes. We want to have you on board. We want to have as many people in this. We are actually going to make it our quest to find the best deal in Canada in this five-day challenge. Yeah, very exciting. A lot of buzzwords in there. My favorite buzzword is free. Free. And uh, tons of value in here with the uh, with the ultra exclusive free five day challenge that Dan's talking about. So join in on that. But we've also got outside of the five day challenge more amazing free content, and that is today's episode. And we've got a spicy one today, Dan. What are we talking about? We are talking about today HSBC's alleged mortgage fraud, half a billion dollars worth, which is very related to a a certain group of international or foreign capital that uh, I think the author of the article is attentive to that for political reasons, but we don't do politics on this show. We're interested in that for economic reasons because said economy, where said capital is from, we've talked about it on this show before, that economy is not doing so well, but we'll get to that. It's funny because we're re-recording this episode and the second point on this says- I was just going to say, say, I was just going to say- <laughs> So the quick story, we re-recorded this last week, you know, 170 episodes in, still experiencing the occasional technical difficulty. So, Except you have to mention that you are the technical difficulty. Okay, don't put this on me, dude. This Nick's is actually, a- I'm having fun with this because like Nick's actually really, like he gets super frustrated about it. Like he went on a rant. It would have been like fit for, it would have been for WWE or something. You know what I mean? Like, I if thought I was going to do the people's elbow or something. If on there was computer. a chair that I could have like smashed against something, you know, one of the little folding chairs. Yeah. I would oh, have. Yeah, sure. um, yeah, we ended up losing almost two episodes. Uh, a lot of work, a lot of time, a lot of effort and coordination going to put these things together. So when we lose one for no reason other than something fails on the technical side of things, it's frustrating. But anyways, to be fair though, it did kind of save us because that episode will be air- would have been airing the same day that this one is. And it would have been wrong because we said, oh, our rate cuts off the table because Canada's job numbers were strong. And now all of a sudden inflation is coming down. CPI, it's two, CPI today, 2.9 rather than 3.3. Yeah, that was 3.4. But yeah, 3.3. So I mean, hey, that's... 3.4 was last month. 3.3 was their expectation. Projected. Okay, yeah. yeah. So, so I mean, hey, look, things are moving in the right direction. And now we can go back and correct ourselves for something we never even needed to correct ourselves for because that episode never aired. But look at us admitting our faults, even when we don't need to. So anyways, let's uh, let's get into it here, Dan. Start us off. Yeah. So I, I just basically put in this article from Sam Cooper, who is one of my favorite Canadian journalists. And actually, very exciting. We have another Canadian journalist coming on the show next week. So stay tuned for that. 
Gregor Craigie, who we have uh, we have some free copies of his book to give away. So also check that out. Really we'll, cool. We'll guy. give you details on. Yeah, we, that was an awesome conversation. We just recorded it, so we're totally fanboying over here. And he has, he's having an event uh, in Toronto that we'll talk about on the show too, because we'll we're going to attend that if anybody wants to to hang out there. Anyway, this is an article from Sam Cooper, who is a Canadian journalist who started his own thing on Substack now, but he was he was working for a couple of different uh, publications in Canada. And uh, I put basically the whole article in here so that you can basically just read it. Maybe we'll just we'll do a new segment called Nick's Storytime because you have the good voice on the show. And then so you read it and then I'll discuss it after. <laughs> uh, the article is titled Fake Chinese Income Mortgages Fuel Toronto Real Estate Double HSBC Bank Leaks. I found out a huge mortgage fraud showing borrowers with exaggerated income from one specific country. The Bureau investigates whistleblower documents. The whistleblower, a Canadian business school graduate, was staggered by the suspicious home loans he discovered in 2022 when he joined a mortgage approval team at a small HSBC branch in the outskirts of Toronto. He knew of suspicions surrounding Chinese capital in British Columbia real estate, but had never witnessed shady lending while working at his HSBC branch in Campbell River, which is a small kind of rustic town on the coast of Vancouver Island. When he arrived at HSBC's, HSBC's bank in Aurora, which is an affluent suburb north of Toronto, he discovered explosive growth in home loans to Chinese diaspora buyers during the COVID-19 pandemic. So fun fact, Aurora was the the highest or the sort of the biggest price drop in 2017 when when there was, you know, real estate only goes up, right? Except for these what? Yeah, except for these couple of times. So <laughs> in 2017 there was like this huge drop in house prices yeah. in the GTA because of there was this huge run up in luxury homes and that's where the foreign buyers bans started in BC in 2016 and in Canada in 2017. It's policy response to try and shut out some of this um house hoarding basically that was taking place. And Aurora, coincidentally, well now now we're learning not coincidentally, saw the biggest run up in price and the biggest collapse in price after that policy introduction in 2017. So just a fun fact. Also Aurora, when they say affluent suburb, it's like a top five affluent suburb. It's top like top five wealthiest municipalities in Canada, I believe, based yeah. on a household income basis. Like you got like King City, uh, Oakville, Aurora, there's like a couple. Oakville. I'm going to pull up the list while you're continuing uh, Markham, story time. And that's just in the GTA. I mean, you go to Vancouver, you got Shaughnessy and, and a couple other sexy ones there. But anyways, we're getting off topic. You're back to Nick's story time. Please, some respect for the story time, Dan. Migrants living across Toronto were obtaining mortgages from HSBC well supposedly earning extravagant salaries from remote work jobs back in China. In one example, an Ontario casino worker that owned three homes also claimed to earn $345,000 in 2020, analyzing data remotely for a Beijing company. Dan, you and I literally analyze data all the time, and I haven't made anything close to $345,000. We just got to be shopping for better remote work, apparently, Nick. I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting like... We like Weird memories of the big short as I read this year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it does. Uh, I mean, it, like here we just did like actual fraud, whereas the banks used to, in the US, they, the banks did the fraud for you, I suppose. Yeah. So. yeah. so before joining HSBC, our whistleblower had studied fake income mortgage frauds for his business master's degree as he attended Vancouver Island University. 
Now, after arriving in Aurora in February of 2022, while digging into the branch's loan books and interrogating his colleagues, he made some mind-blowing assessments. Since 2015, the whistleblower concluded that more than 10 Toronto area HSBC branches had issued at least $500 million in home loans to diaspora buyers claiming exaggerated incomes or non-existent jobs back in China. Now, these foreign income scams spiked during the pandemic, the whistleblower believed, because borrowers could somewhat plausibly claim to be working remotely in other countries while riding out the COVID-19 pandemic here in Canada. Well, a small bank, the HSBC Aurora, well, a small bank of that size was expected to issue about $23 million in residential loans every year. This branch had shoveled out a whopping $88 million in mortgages in 2022 alone. And according to the whistleblower, over $50 million in 2021. So almost quadruple in 2020 and more than double what they were expected to in 2021. So as the whistleblower probed his colleagues, he's, his belief gained conviction that HSBC Canada and other banks, including CIBC, has systematic problems and highly questionable mortgages from the buyers with unverified sources of wealth. So this is good. What do you think of that story, Tom? It was a great story. Great yeah. story. Yeah, yeah. I wish I had a happier. It was ending, nice of you to read that story. <laughs> and um, I, th- I think it's it's not really news. Like, and I, I. I admire Sam as a journalist, one of my favorite Canadian journalists. If you get the chance, awesome writer as well, did a, a great book called Willful Blindness that talks a lot about this and a lot about um, political infiltration, money laundering, snow washing, drug and we've cartels. We've covered some of that stuff on, on different pods as, as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, I mean, I think a lot of that, like, I don't, it, it's tough to say because like some of it could be a little bit, um, not sensational, but like, you know, how much of it is actually like stuff that really impacts us or we brush up against or whatever versus, you know, like what, what are the things that we need to be thinking about and worrying about? But there's a few, like, I think important considerations. Two things have come out since then, since this. So I'm almost glad we got a chance to re-record this. So number one was that this wasn't just like an isolated branch thing. It ended up having to go or it, like all these deals had to get underwritten 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 i'm not this is why i don't do next story time um <laughs> underwritten uh on i guess like off the branch probably bay street something like that where you know the non-branch people analysts underwriters etc do the credit file and adjudicate the deal and then lend the paper that's you know if i'm trying to create value for you as a as a real estate investor that's how kind of the supply chain of you getting your mortgage right you go to the branch or you go to a mortgage broker, they decide the credit product they're going to try and fit you in. You do your application. It gets adjudicated or underwritten by credit. They ask you a bunch of questions, ask you to prepare some documents, maybe ask you to sell your truck or change some random financial <laughs> stuff. Speaking from experience. Uh, that obviously. actually happened to me. And uh, and then they send you the deal back as a yes or no. So what happened, I, I guess because of that, because it was just like a non-isolated incident, now... I guess the regulators in Canada are sort of being forced to take a look at this, according to to Sam's Twitter. He was saying, you know, the government's going to kind of have to 
say something about this. So that's that's piece number one that I find interesting, and and it, that's interesting because RBC is buying HSBC Canada right now. They're supposed to close sometime this year. It was um, approved just before Christmas of last year. We'll we'll go through it because there's a little bit of like I have I have all the articles that explain that, but. And I'm curious to see how the regulators respond to this, given that FinTrack was doing a lot of these, I guess, wrist slaps, we'll call it, to Canadian banks last year. So FinTrack fined RBC and CIBC towards the end of last year, both in December. And I had sort of thought that that was as a response of TD's attempted purchase of First Horizons Bank in the US, getting smacked down by US regulators and that kind of Canadian regulators sort of being like, Oh, we should probably do something about this if Canadian banks can't like aren't considered compliant enough to to participate in the US markets and that's really the only market for us to expand and export banking. So all that stuff's fascinating. FinTrack is super relevant cuz we'll we're going to explain it in the second half of this episode, but FinTrack is super important to us as real estate investors. But the other piece is that it came out that some individuals were getting rejected from HSBC because they couldn't prove the funds or whatever, and then just went and got mortgages from two other Canadian big six banks. So to say that this is, and I, and I think it is almost disingenuous to say that this is one, funds from one country, you know, or, or funds in one city, or it's only happening in one industry or whatever. I mean, this is a very rampant phenomenon in Canada. There's two instances that I know that have been happening outside of like, again, using the foreign capital as an example, where tradespeople for a long time would just like have their buddy write them a job letter. Like that was always a thing back in the day, right? That's mortgage fraud. It's yeah. That's mortgage fraud of the same level, right? Don't do this stuff by the way. But then another one that's super common that you see people doing all the time and you hear about it all the time is people say, oh, I'm going to get this as my primary residence. And then they go and not move into it and rent it out. I mean, that's that's like text, but that's, it's the same thing, right? It's the same it's mortgage fraud. So anyway, I think it is it's just generally funny that it was HSBC of all of all banks that ended up like this and are we really surprised that it was HSBC to be the one that got caught here, I suppose. Well, I mean, I I guess you're asking that question because HSBC has a bit of a history of being the bad boy bank or in more professional term uh, some more nefarious behavior. Now, going back to 2012, HSBC, who is one of the biggest global banks, got slapped with a massive $1.9 billion fine. Now, when you hear banks getting slapped with, you know, okay, $10 million for being a bad boy doing this, $10 million for a bank is a drop in the bucket, literally a non-starter. $1.9 billion? That's going to affect any bank. That's, that's like a GDP of a small country. That's a lot of money. Yeah, that's a lot of money. So uh, again, back in 2012, HSBC gets slapped with a massive $1.9 billion fine for helping out those Mexican drug cartels <laughs> with their transactions. So I mean, literally like big, big bank, big, big criminal organization. Why not? And as if that wasn't enough, they had to cough up another $665 million in civil penalties. So we're approaching the $2.5 billion mark here in penalties. Now, talk about having some serious issues with their compliance and their anti-money laundering controls. Any anti-money laundering obviously has uh, an acronym, which is AML. But that was a, yeah, and if it's an acronym, you say it AML. 
Yeah, Amel, right? We're saying that? Amel, yeah. 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 A close relative. Otherwise, of the it would be an initial. This is an initialism. No, it's, yes. an, an, it's an ammo. <laughs> so, again, this fine was no joke, right? I mean, we're talking upwards of $2.5 billion here. It's one of the biggest ever given to a bank for breaking United States banking laws. So, basically, it was a big wake up call for HSBC. They had to step up their game and fix their operations if they wanted to keep their charter in the US, which I'm sure they did. The regulations and regulators went with this approach to save HSBC from going under, which could have some major consequences all around the world. So a few key takeaways from that. They were hit with almost $2.5 billion in penalties for significant lapses in compliance and lapses in their anti-money laundering systems. They laundered almost $1 billion from Mexican Sinaloa and the Colombian's Nortel de Valle drug cartels. I don't know how to say that one, but go watch not, Narcos. Not related to Nortel, the, uh, not Nortel. the failed uh, Canadian not telecom Nortel. company. Um, actually, you know, I I just watched the Griselda thing Did on you? Netflix. Yeah, yeah. It was actually really good. She so. probably was doing that. It's probably so who she banked with. Go talk to HSBC. Back. Yeah. Their HSBC's weak AML controls led to illegal fund transfers and currency exchanges through different correspondence. And... You know, unfortunately, they weren't the only ones. There was a string of major globally recognized banks that were caught with illicit transactions, including ING, Barclays, and even our good old friends at the impeccable and impenetrable Credit Suisse, uh, among others, that faced serious fines for violating sanctions and placed against certain countries and organizations such as Iran, Libya, and of course, the cartels out of Central and South America. Very fun. So I guess the the idea is that this is obviously is a large total addressable market when we're thinking about. <laughs> yeah. So great Tam on this one. Well, yeah. While probably not a uh, safe industry to get into, probably a lucrative one. Um, and mm. and it's funny, like you know, to me, I think about the classic case, which is uh, Ozarks, right? Oh, like, uh, great. Marty Bird, and he talks about money laundering and obviously he's doing it for a drug cartel in that show great show like oh, excellent show excellent probably one of the best show. the best netflix shows ever yeah and but he uses this uh blue cat lodge is that what it's called it's a it's a yeah i think something it like that yeah. Cat, yeah yeah it's a in the riverboat casino yeah no, but sorry for spoiling the yeah. show for anyone who doesn't want to go watch it but yeah no he's, he's developing this uh resort like it's like a waterfront motel hotel kind of thing um to, to launder money. And the reality is like, if you, this isn't a, uh, not, not financial advice and not, not explaining to somebody how to, or <laughs> why, why one should, but you know, contractors like cash. And so a lot of uh, people will buy real estate and then spend the, the cash by giving it to contractors. And then they'll refinance the equity out of the, the house afterwards or out of the blue cat lodge afterwards <laughs> and, uh, and then use it to convert and then they'll earn money on, on paper from this legitimate business. And every time that thing earns money on paper, they're now recollecting that so money that they've invested. So money laundering works. Yeah, I mean, people think it's like some complex stuff. And a lot of people like, I don't know. It doesn't have anything to do with a washing machine at, at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah, no. <laughs> well, it is funny because in um, another show, Breaking Bad, he literally puts it in a washing machine. Yeah, and actually, absolutely. Marty Bird does the same thing. Yeah. He puts it in like a it always goes washing machine washing with like machine. dirt and stuff because it's like too clean, I think <laughs> yeah. he says. Yeah. Just like and me it, with my hard hat, if you remember that story. It, no, I don't. But you, yeah, Oh, I don't think, maybe I didn't tell you that. But anyways- 
a fresh hard hat. Like oh, first yeah, day you did site. tell that story yeah. last time we recorded Thanks for bringing this. that up. That's embarrassing yeah. for me to relive that, is, that, that experience. That is an embarrassing but, story. Yeah. So Nick had a hard hat and he had to um, rough it up because he didn't want to be the new uh, outed as <laughs> this guy who has never been on. It's a long it's time a, ago, okay? Yeah. It's decades ago. Yeah, that's funny. Such a finance guy just like <laughs> – can't wait to go out and take my LinkedIn photo with my hard was, hat on. This is before my I was a I was a construction guy back then. It right? is funny because I put I put this like meme out, you know, like the starter packs. I put a starter pack meme out and it was like politician at, at a like development site ribbon cutting. <laughs> and it was like a bunch of like really expensive like heart hiking boots like that look like work boots so they can use them later. <laughs> and and uh and then like a hard hat, obviously, and then a shovel with the sticker still on. Nice. And I dude, I literally saw, I'm not gonna say who, but I literally saw a picture of like five politicians standing on a job site, all with like matching brand new shovels with the stickers still on. And I was like, I meant to post it, but anyway, it's funny. It's just funny. Politicians are funny to me. So let's, let's get back on track. The, the AML thing, AML anti-money laundering, AML is what we're calling it here. (laughs) I always kind of felt like the regulators in Canada really started getting serious after that TD first horizon deal fell through. So let's just quickly, I'll do a quick summary on that. So May 4th of 2023, TD and First Horizon mutually agreed to terminate the merger account. And then May 8th, it came out, this is in the Wall Street Journal, that US regulators' concerns over TD anti-money laundering practices helped scuttle the First Horizon deal. And so I think this just really woke up the Canadian regulators, right? And uh, that and also I think FinTrack and like a lot of other government agencies in Canada, are the government needs revenue because they also have to pay these crazy interest costs. Um, and so we're seeing a lot of revenue generation attempts from them and other government agencies like the CRA, et cetera. But anyway, so the Wall Street Journal and Bloomberg reported on May 9th that U.S. regulators' concerns about the way TD handled suspicious transactions was at the root of their reluctance to approve the Canadian bank's $13.4 billion takeover of First Horizon Bank, adding a layer of mystery to TD's decision to bail earlier that month on what would have been its biggest acquisition. And so I guess TD just knew that they weren't going to get the approval. And so they said, "Eh, okay, let's just put an ax in this one. And then later that year, you saw FidTrack hit two Canadian banks with fines. And this is extremely relevant to real estate, by the way, because when you hear us talk about FinTrack, you have to fill out one of these forms from FinTrack to report a transaction every time you buy or sell real estate. So Example number one, FinTrack imposes an administrative monetary penalty on the Royal Bank of Canada, uh, seven point, just $7.5 million, not in the billions like HSBC. Mm. Um, after, yeah, after FinTrack, FinTrack says uh, the bank failed to report suspicious transactions. These are just speeding tickets from my perspective. Yeah. Like, you know, that's all it is. Literally, yeah. Two days later, December 7th, FinTrack imposed an administrative monetary penalty on the Canadian Imperial Bank of Commerce. So... Why is this important? Why do we care about money laundering? And um, I mean, ob- obviously, it has an impact on the housing market. Obviously, it's interesting to see how exploitable the Canadian mortgage space is. But like, why as real estate transactors do we care about FinTrack? Yeah, great question. So FinTrack, first of all, FinTrack is the Financial Transactions and Reports Analysis Center of Canada. So Financial Intelligence Agency is is an easy way to look at them. Now, per FinTrack... On their website, on the Government of Canada website, it says real estate agents, oh sorry, real estate brokers or sales representatives and real estate developers must fulfill specific obligations as required by the proceeds of crime and terrorist financing. And that is through the money laundering and the PC 
M L T F A Act. Do we have a? Is not an acronym. Acronym. Yeah. Pigmalfta. Pigmalfta. <laughs> this is to help combat money laundering and terrorist activity financing in Canada. Now, according to the PCMLFTA, which is Proceeds of Crime, Money Laundering and Terrorist Financing Act and its regulations, a real estate broker or sales representative can be an agent for buyers or sellers in real estate transactions. And as a real estate broker, you've got to do some stuff under the PICMLFTA. That's it. You I'm having a hard it. time with this one. They really designed that acronym well. To yeah, be rolls spoken. off the tongue. Yeah. Now, you've got to abide by the rules under this one representing buyers or sellers, no matter the commissions or your fiduciary duties. But hey, if you only handle property management activities like leases or rentals and don't do any of the buying or selling, you don't have to worry about these obligations. But if you're a real estate sales representative working for a broker, working for a brokerage, have an active license and are buying and selling, reporting suspicious transaction is mainly the broker of records job. But you are both going to be accountable if any of this stuff comes up. Yeah. And the way that it would come up is, I guess, they have to review your FinTrack forms that you fill out. So um, I guess that maybe I'll, I'll, I'll do the developer piece uh, quickly because this was actually something that I learned when we were doing this episode the first time, but uh, we're doing it the second <laughs> time. So I'll pretend that I'm just learning it for the first time. And I'm um, really surprised, right? Yeah. And, um, but yeah, there's, there's documents that everybody, like real, real estate agents need to fill out when they're buying. And if it says like there's a third party, like as an example, like if, if like Nick's trying to buy a house off me and some like, random guy shows up with a bag of cash to like that's you my know, guy put, okay? put, the put the deposit down i should probably make a note of that don't make that, a note yeah. that's my cash yeah. guy and so you know th there's uh steps that you have to take to verify third parties you have to verify um identification of people so if, if you've ever had a realtor ask you for your driver's license during a transaction so they can copy down that information. This is why. Also, if you've never had a real estate agent ask for your driver's license <laughs> then, during a transaction. Then the first part of the episode is why. Also a red flag. Yeah. But yeah, so so real estate, and it, I, I do, I'm, I'm going to admit, I do find it kind of funny that realtors are the last line of defense against money laundering in Canada and perhaps why it is such a- um, Almost comical. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah. It's not just like that, like putting aside the reputation that realtors have in the the- world right now, but in Canada, especially as just like what they are. I don't need to even dive in on that no. one, but it's, it's that you literally have the person who is most financially incentivized to see the transaction <laughs> succeed. Like, you know what I mean? That, that is like, is that what, yeah. ironic? Is yeah. that what that is? I don't I mean, well, it's just, it's just, um, it's a it's conflict a, of interest. Yeah. Possibly. It's a, yeah. That's a that few different things. That's what I think. Is, yeah. yeah. So, so I guess, um, FinTrack realized this and now mortgage professionals also have to do FinTrack documents. I think lawyers do too. I'm not sure about the lawyers. Mortgage agents, yes. Lawyers would make sense. I mean, to be honest, everyone involved in a massive real estate transaction, massive being anything in the couple hundred thousands of dollars, because that's like the yeah. biggest thing most people ever buy. Yeah. Everyone should be abiding by these principles and, and regulations. I mean, I don't mm -hmm. really think it's too much to ask. Yeah, I would agree with that. So, so anyway, they go on to say real estate developers also have to do this. So if a real estate developer isn't selling the house through a real estate broker or agent, then they have to collect FinTrack documents themselves. So they would have to go, they would have to verify the identity of the person purchasing the house rather on their own, rather than having their real estate professional do it. And they go on to qualify like what is a new house. And some of this is actually interesting because it could qualify to some of these like up, um, up zoning or flips. Like if you're a flipper, 
you might actually have to do it because like not, a substantially renovated home with 90% or more of its interior renovated and subsequently sold by a real estate developer. This threshold aligns with Canada Revenue Agency's guidance on new homes for tax purposes in the case of substantial renovations, prefab homes, institutional buildings, etc. Anyway, the goal here is that they don't want you doing what I was describing Marty Bird could do, right? <laughs> and it's more the seller they would be trying to say, hey, you know, like they would want to say, hey, where'd, where'd that cash come from? You know, because one of the things that I think a lot of people don't realize and is that there's a cost, there's a, I don't know, you would call it a frictional cost or a transaction cost, the cost of doing business if you're laundering money, right? I think Marty Bird describes this in that show, but, you know, if it costs you like 10, 20, 15% to, launder the money. So you're taking cash and you're losing 15% of it, but you're converting it to money that's on the books. You know, Capital gains would be in line with that. If you had to pay 100% capital gains because you had no tax deductions because you paid for everything on the renovation of your Blue Cat Lodge in cash, <laughs> right? You would still only be paying an effective tax rate of what is it like 26% on 50%, like whatever your capital gains tax rate is on all of that money. And obviously, you're probably going to pay for the, the materials on paper because you can't find a cash supplier for materials. But labor, I think is really, that's, that's the one thing where obviously, and I've had people ask me this, like, I'm not just saying this cause I like, it's, this stuff is hidden in plain sight. Like, it's not like I'm doing these deals. It's just like, you can go through any small town anywhere and say, there's an example, there's an example. Talk and, to, and not to throw contractors or trades under the bus. We, we love you. We need more of you guys, but yeah, I mean, if yeah, you, you go to a small town and everybody's driving around and, uh, Denali HDs that I paid for cash and, uh, you know, five c and all, you know, and, and it's a good life. Something's going on. Something's <laughs> going on there. So, so anyway, I think there's a lot of things that FinTrack and the industry is trying to do to start kind of cracking down on this stuff. And, and it's worth paying attention to as real estate investors. Go through this, this list of the penalties that we've seen over the last little bit. Um, cause I think the first one this year was, uh, was it a mortgage brokerage or a real estate brokerage? I think it was, right? Mm. Yeah. So if we go through the public notice of administrative monetary penalties, and this is from the FinTrack website, the first result and so far the only penalty issued in 2024 is a real estate brokerage that was fined $132,000 for committing five violations. So... Then I think I did, I did a YouTube video on this and like that I was starting to anticipate that the Canadian real estate industry would be the next target for FinTrack if if they're if they are going on a revenue generating mission. I um, mean it makes sense. Look what's happening with the states right now, right? I mean they yeah. the Department of Justice is is targeting real estate agents mm -hmm. in there because they were making too much money and Yeah, a lot of those like class action lawsuits yeah. in the US and then uh, there's another there's a second class action lawsuit being launched in Canada. I might actually maybe we'll try and get somebody on there on here to talk about that. Um, but that's in regards to real estate commissions. And and I think real estate is a pretty low-hanging fruit of a of an industry. Like realtors aren't really the best at doing paperwork properly. And I say that from experience. Like I'm pretty self-aware, but like I, you know, like present company not yeah, excluded. Like I have yeah. to have somebody help me with paperwork, yeah. you know? So and I'm and I've done a lot of deals. It's yeah, just like been doing it for a little they, while. they do change a lot, to be fair. Like they're they, they've added like four new signatures in the last couple of years and stuff like that. So and I do think I mentioned earlier that government arms like FinTrack and the CRA are kind of trying to generate revenue right now because the government is downsizing due to a budget deficit. Yeah. And um, are are they downsizing though? I'm, I'm not sure because I think our 48,000 new public sector jobs 
say otherwise. And Dan, can you clarify what I'm talking about right there? Because you had a really great, I think it was Twitter or X post. Some on math. This. Yeah, I was doing some, yeah, some, some math. Pretty, try to keep up here, everyone, as Dan does some very... Yeah. Also a great segue. That might actually be the best one. So we'll move over to the job numbers and rate cuts potentially, which now is maybe the opposite. I don't know. Are, are rate cuts back on the table? Hikes are they off the cuts table? or hikes I don't or know, cuts. Man. It changes Temperamental weekly, data. Oh. The bond yield curve is like a roller coaster. But anyway, so <laughs> it says a rate cut will need to wait until mid-year at the earliest. Markets and economists react to Canada's jobs data. Um, and they're referring to the data, the labor force survey, January 2024 is what their article is referring to, where it says employment increased by 37,000 in January following three months of little change. And basically what happened was, so you said, sorry, the public sector added 48,000 jobs. Yes, correct. Um, but yet unemployment or employment increased by only 37,000. So the public sector added 48,000 of those 37,000 jobs, which means that the Canadian economy on the private sector actually added negative 11,000 jobs. Ah. And so the question becomes, you know, are are we actually <laughs> like is is the economy actually growing, right? Is employment is employment actually Im- improving? And estimates that are that uh, 10,000 of those 11,000 jobs that were lost were part-time. I mean, that's those those are numbers that you, you know you can't see this because it's a podcast, but I'm rolling my eyes a little bit right now. Public sector jobs being added, great. It's a great thing, right? We want jobs to be added. If the government's incentivizing and increasing their workforce, that's awesome. We need you know go hire more people at CMHC. That's probably the first thing you should do. But to see the public sector grow like that, and the private sector literally shrinking. As the public sector grows, that's that's a hard pill to swallow. I mean, we've talked about it so many times, Dan, and especially now more than ever, how important public or sorry, how important private sector jobs and private sector growth are for building homes, for, you know, starting new businesses, essentially for creating a better and more vibrant and more lucrative economy for everybody. So when we see the private sector shrinking at the same time that the, you know, quote unquote public sector is growing, it is slightly concerning for me. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think especially in a period of time where we're vulnerable to inflation, like and inflation could kind of keep the interest rate high. And we just saw inflation at 2.9%, which is not as low as they want it, but it's not definitely it's it's in that two to 3% range. Yeah. Let's timestamp that. That's Tuesday, February 20th. Yeah. That was the inflation. So that was January's inflation print. Yeah. And so more adding more jobs is inflationary because more people are making more money, which means that they have more money to spend. And I think the Bank of Canada is kind of watching a lot of this stuff very carefully. And core inflation hasn't has been a little bit stickier to come down and that's the main metric that they use so i think a lot of people want to say oh rate cuts are going to happen or first it was like rate cuts are off the table because of employment you know i mean i think uh, minister of finance was like cheering on oh the economy is so strong it's like okay well you don't cut <laughs> you don't cut rates in a strong economy and then then it was like okay well now this now inflation's low so maybe maybe cuts are back on the table i think they'll probably skip uh, is it april the first cut i think april or april was supposed to april be the next first, one yeah, yeah i think now, they'll skip yeah. that Maybe we'll see July. I think July is kind of where they're forecasting now. Who knows? We'll be back in two weeks with a new news article to tell you yeah, that things have changed drastically. Seriously, I want off this ride. Maybe <laughs> just before we wrap up, there's a couple of things I, I want to do. We'll just go through these forms, the um, the FinTrack forms that uh, you'll see in your real estate transaction that shows like how relevant and how 
the money launders just ruin it for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> you know, now you have to do three extra, kill a couple extra trees to do all this paperwork. So you have the first one you have here is the uh, individual identification record. I'm going to put the second one in the um, notes so you can present that one there, Nick. Receipt of funds is the second one. So there's individual identification record, receipt of funds, and then there's this new one called politically exposed persons and heads of international organizations. Are you one of those? I'm, I feel Someday exposed. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> so, and that one's like basically where you have to consult a database to find that you're not a PEP or an HIO. And then, so anyway, individual identification record. If you're in the Ontario Real Estate Association, which I know like a good portion of our real estate, uh, our listeners are, I think like the majority of our listeners are from Ontario, Form 630. It's like address of the property, verify the individual driver's license, ID. You have to f- state if there's a third party involved. Like, so if some sketchy person's coming to put a deposit or like if your parents are lending you the deposit as an example, cause you're not as liquid or they're just lending you the deposit or giving you the deposit. Bank mom and you dad. have to put, yeah, you have to put them on there. You have to determine if the client's low risk or so what their risk level is, low risk. So Canadian citizen or re- uh, resident physically present. So fairly classic KYC yeah. stuff. Yeah, it is. It's a KYC form, H- high risk. Uh, it would, like that's where the check box says foreign citizen or re- resident that operates in a high risk country, physically present or not, and then business relationships, et cetera. And then the next one is the receipt of funds. You want to just quickly rip me through that, Nick, and then we will jump off? For sure. Yeah. So KYC, by the way, for everyone is is know your client. Um, and you should also be knowing where your client's funds are coming from. So that's what this FinTrack document is about, basic transaction information. They want information on the funds, the amounts, what type of funds, how were they received, and then information on the individuals or the entities providing those funds. Uh, So there's a whole bunch of boxes that need to be checked or explanations that they need to be given for for that. And and Dan, just before you wrap us up, I mean, the, the one of the things everyone needs to remember here in whatever role you're playing in this transaction is that you've got a fiduciary duty, which is a legal responsibility to act solely in the best interest of another party. In this case, it's the party that you're representing. So fiduciary means trust. So this is this whole thing comes down to a trust that you are doing the transaction correctly. Yeah, absolutely. Hit us with the third and final. The the third piece here is well, you, I guess you have to show like what account it came from, any additional information, especially cash, has to be documented. So, and and this is all just to make sure that people aren't money laundering. It's your job to make sure that they don't fiduciary, they don't yeah, trust. So, anyway, I think that's it for today. Yeah, is it? Go uh, go sign up for the five day challenge. Check out the course. Check out the merch, the newsletters, the meetups, and all the other awesome stuff that we are trying to build an amazing community around. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Be fiduciary and we'll see you soon. The Canadian Real Estate Investor Podcast is for entertainment purposes only and it is not financial advice. Nick Hill is a mortgage agent with Premier Mortgage Center and a partner in the G&H Mortgage Group. License number 10317, agent license M21004037. Daniel Foch is a real estate broker licensed with Rare Real Estate, a member of the Canadian Real Estate Association, the Toronto Real Estate Board, and the Ontario Real Estate Association.